Hi there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to Farm Equipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story, which dives into farm equipment dealers and their unique stories. In today's episode, editor-publisher Mike Lesseter sits down with Bill Garten of California's 10-store garden tractor, just minutes before his board meeting at the Far West Dealers Association in Denver. As Mike learned, the interview took place nearly 40 years to the day that Bill joined his late dad, Bud, in the family business. He was a great boss. He let me trial and error things. Whenever you make a decision, you say, what's the downside risk? What is the worst thing can, that can happen? And that's how I've always made decisions. That's, so he let me do that. And I failed a lot, but he keeps stumbling and gets some wins, some losses, gets some wins, gets some losses. It's very similar to athletics. You win, you lose, you win, you lose. It's that balancing act that makes you win a little bit more than you lose. That was Bill recalling the leeway that his late father, Bud, gave him to learn and find his own way starting out as a 21-year-old, despite being a stickler and controlling many other things in the business. Bill packs a lot of stories and laughs into this single conversation, including the time when Ford Tractor had to acquire the business to keep it going, how the business took an early chance on that Japanese tractor others were laughing about, and of course, Bill's trademark acronyms, including Direct, Act, PETA, and SOAP. We won't be surprised to hear the final two repeated at your dealership as well. Because let's face it, we all know PETA and soap people. Before we get rolling, a tip of the cap to our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading-edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. So here we go, the Our Dealer Story conversation with Bill Garden of Garden Tractors. I understand it was your grandfather, Bill Cornforth? My mother's dad. Tell us about the, the very earliest origins of that. Well, he started with actually a distributor called, I believe it was called Pacific Distributing. He distributed Ford tractors, and then he eventually got a dealership in the 40s. A gentleman by the last name of Frega was his partner, and then he ended up buying Frega out in 49 and established his own dealership in he had Reedley and Hanford and Turlock. And then um, I'm actually named after Bill Cornforth. I'm named after both grandfathers, Bill Cornforth, Leonard Garton. My name's William Leonard Garton. So maybe that's why I got in the tractor business. Bill Cornforth had four daughters, and his dream was to have a Cornforth and son business. He had four daughters. Wilma was the oldest. Carol was my mother, was the second. So he had these two dealerships. He set his son-in-laws up, my dad, Bud Garton, Turlock, the other son-in-law, Dan Hummison, Hanford. So Dan was a smart one. He got out earlier and did the real estate. And that Hanford store went through a bunch of different ownerships through time. I believe Dan got out probably in the 60s. And so my dad had Turlock. And um, to buy his father-in-law out, he had a partner named Murray Nance. And he brought his dad in that worked at Quinn Company. It's a big caterpillar company. And they bought my, father, or my grandfather out of that business. And then Roy Nance, they split the sheets. Roy thought Turlock would never be a profitable place, kind of a chicken town, you know, and <laughs> Turkey, actually. So they split the sheets, and he wanted the Metropolitan Modesto, and my dad stayed with Turlock. So that's how it all started. So everything's worked out good. 57, that's when your dad acquired? Yes. I believe that's when he, he managed, took it and managed it. I don't think the ownership was there yet, but he managed that store. So the Garten Tractor, I'm not sure the exact date when that happened, but he was in that store, managed that store, and brought it up. Good. So in 57. 
Nats, and I think it was 59. And he brought his dad in? My father brought his dad in. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're third generation on both sides of this then, right? I guess you could say that, yeah. I never really thought of Grandpa Garten, but because he was in there, but he wasn't the starter. Cornforth was the starter. But it is true, I'm third generation from my dad's dad. And then you came in in the... 79, so I've been there uh, coming up in a week or so. Maybe today, 40 years. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> or condolences. I know. <laughs> condolences. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I never really worked there besides being a 10-year-old kid sweeping floors once in a while because I got into different things. In high school, I ended up swimming and motor polo and Saint College, so... I had no interest. Did you plan on coming into the business? No. So how did that go down? Well, you graduate and, um, you know, you're looking for jobs. And, you know, my dad said, you should just try this. You know, I'll pay you 1200 bucks a month and uh, just try it out. And so I ended up driving home in my old 70s crappy Mustang full of stuff. I drive up to the yard to my parents' house, get out of the door. And my dad comes out and he says, wait a minute. I said, what? He goes, you don't come in the house. You're 20 years old now and sends me over to an apartment complex. Writes a $300 check to get me in. Says, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. That's how it started. So then I started to work and uh, he was a great boss. He was firm. Um, Like probably a lot of people that generation complained quite a bit. You know, that's about the only thing growing up I heard was complaints. And so if they complained about a person, I always asked myself, you know, complains about somebody, how come they work there? You know, it's somebody new. Um, but he was a great boss. He let me trial and error things. Whenever you make a decision, you say, what's the downside risk? What is the worst thing can, that can happen? The worst. And that's how I've always made decisions. That's, so he let me do that. And uh, I failed a lot, lots of failures, big time. But you keep stumbling and get some wins. Some losses, get some wins, get some losses. It's very similar to athletics. You win, you lose, you win, you lose. It's that balancing act that makes you win a little bit more than you lose. So mm-hmm. it's very similar. Com- yeah. Competition. Business is a, a lot of twin to athletics. And you, you competed in college? Mainly a swimmer. I was a water polo goalie. That's how I got my good looks. <laughs> but um, I swam, and it was, all, it was all chance, too. In high school, I was cut from the baseball team as a freshman in high school. So I didn't want to really change my classes around. They had a new coach. His name was Steve Fever. He used to go to the Hanford dealership, and uh, he talked me into swimming. You know, maybe I had long arms or he just saw something, but I couldn't swim at all. Mm-hmm. And so then it took four years, and I was an All-American in my fourth year. So one thing you learn from that in business, a lot of it's coaching, especially the younger players. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to recognize what they're good at, what they're not so good at, and they have to recognize that too. To lead in with kind of an overview, like number of stores, employees, the okay. region that you cover. We'll have a lot of listeners that are not from California sure. here. So. We have basically two areas. There's San Joaquin Valley, and then there's the North Coast. So we originated in the San Joaquin Valley. And um, the San Joaquin Valley, we have orchards. The almonds are very popular. We kind of, when I grew up, we called them almonds. But a lot of people call almonds. Mm-hmm. That's what we call them. So there's almonds in orchards. There's peaches. Peaches are on the decline because the almonds are the king crop now. There's, a, there's a, about a million acres of almonds and maybe some other crops in California now. It's huge. It's an orchard state. Mm-hmm. And then there's melons. There's dairies big. Uh, poultry's big. So we're very diverse. Real crops. Very diverse valley. Beautiful valley. So our southern point is Tulare. 
which is right across from the Tulare World Ag Expo. Mm -hmm. A lot of dairies and, and uh, orchards down there now. Then we skip up to Merced, which is, uh, Merced's about an hour and 25 minutes north of Tulare. Merced's primarily a Kubota store. It's the first one we did kind of a, uh, mainly Kubota store. It does sell New Holland forage harvesters and construction. And then about another four, 35 minutes is Turlock. And that was our home base. Another, and the stores are close. The guys from the Midwest get blown away by this. You know, you have all these close enough 100 miles away or, you know, that's mm -hmm. how it is. The Newman, if you go from Merced to Newman's about 40 minutes, going to Turlock's about 40 minutes. Then you go to Modesto, that's about 40 minutes. Then you shoot over to Stockton, that's about 40 minutes. Then you sh shoot over to uh, Woodland, it's about another 40 minutes. I don't know why I'd always get 40 minutes, 40 minutes, mm -hmm. but it's kind of turned that way. But from Stockton, eh. Say an hour in Stockton, change it up to Woodland. Then from Woodland to Fairfield's about another 40 minutes. <laughs> it's weird, but, but going from Fairfield, and Fairfield services the Napa area, and it has uh, some Dixon, some hay tools, and those kind of things, construction, light construction. You go from Fairfield, goes to the North Coast, which is Santa Rosa, Yakai area. North Coast is Sonoma area, the wine area, and it goes all the way up to Mendocino County. And uh, so it's primarily the vineyards. Mm -hmm. yeah, but there's a lot of, they sell a lot of light construction also. And there's some dairies. But uh, so it's very diverse. It's a lot of fun. Is this so, 10 stores? Mm -hmm. What portion of business is ag versus construction or homeowner? Probably I would say 90% ag. <laughs> it's heavy. And 10% CE. It's probably about right. Okay. Most of the CE equipment is used in agriculture. So we sell a lot of our loaders. Uh, we sell Hitachi loaders, wheel loaders. They're uh, primarily in. Um, they're primarily used in dairies. A lot of them. We sell some construction, but primarily dairies. Backhoes, orchards, trees, skid steers, orchards, dairy. So that's why the percentage is so high. So when you came in in, in '79, how many stores did you have? One. Yeah, uh, maybe 12 people, 14 people, mm -hmm. and um, I when I first worked there. I think I did parts first, you know, worked at the parts counter. Back then it was called, I think it was called ADP or ADT or it's all pads and paperwork. There's no, nothing computerized back then. It's all manually done. So I worked at the parts department. And then the idea is that, you know, parts guy was kind of back, you know, a guy comes in the front door, and it's kind of over here. So I said, maybe the parts department should be like here at a V. So people come in, people say, hi, how are you doing? You know, greet them. Like readers. So we did that and that worked out pretty well. And so the little changes in the department, some of the longer term employees, you know, they're kind of upset about this young guy coming and changing things. And then um, you know, a lot of people will see on change, you have to embrace change. You know, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, you have to accept it, live with it. There's a lot of changes I don't embrace, but. Yeah, that's what the millennials do now, okay? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just, okay, I'm going to accept this. I'm not going to embrace it, but I'm going to accept it. I'm going to work with it. Maybe throw a little curveball in there a little bit, but some people re really resist change. So you have to build your culture to kind of accept changes, not necessarily embracing them, but explaining them, what they are, what you're going to do, and uh, works out pretty well. Then after that, I was service manager for probably the longest time in my career. I'm terrible 
eye-hand coordination person. That's why you got cut from the baseball team? Yeah. <laughs> I am terrible. I'm terrible. I just thought I could do it. You know, yeah. you have confidence, coggy. So it sets you down, too. That's why failures are good, because it sets your attitude down. I thought I could do this. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're gone. You're cut. Yeah. In front of my parents, you're cut from something in the baseball team. You're yeah. shitty. Go. Yeah. Okay, I'm gone. <laughs> 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 so you find yourself something good. But anyway. Um, oh, yeah, hand-eye coordination. So anyway, I'm really bad at that. So as a service manager, I really love the technical the guys that can take stuff apart and put them back together. I couldn't do a puzzle. You know, one of those models, real technical things, I couldn't do. So I've always admired, the, I, I call them athletes. That's what I call them. I say, you guys are like freaking, it's a God-given gift to do this. You know, you might not be able to swim like I used to swim. I can't do what you got. It's a God-given gift to have that ability. It's like an artist and they, they just have an amazing ability to do that. And, and uh, I don't know if it can be trained, but you have to have it within you to do those type of things. So anyway, the service management thing I really enjoyed. I really liked it. So I'm still involved today, walking around the shop, saying hi, and what happened there. So I built an interest in how machines work and why they fail. So it's good to know how, how things work and what fails. Even though I couldn't fix it myself, at least I know theory. After service management, I actually was in service, and then I had a guy, we sold snowmobiles at the time believe it or not. And uh, my first sale was a used snowmobile. That was a uh, interesting thing. So I still have it today. I sold something. It's kind of cool. It's $400 or something. It's in a book somewhere. So that's the first thing I sold. Uh, rewinding on the snowmobile thing, the business, uh, my father had a lot of fun. A lot of it, we had snowmobiles. We were on a racing team. I raced Polaris snowmobiles when I was a teenager. And that's so all the competition stuff that kind of thrilled the competitive spirit when I'm young. But um, it really wasn't a, uh, you know, everything eventually down the road goes to a more of your core, you know. So that wasn't a good thing to have. Even on utility, he did a lot of stuff in advance, even the utility vehicle front, way before the mules were made and all that. There was a vehicle called the Snoopy that he thought would work. I mean, it was kind of like a miniature doom buggy, but it didn't mm. take off. So all kinds of different things he tried, um, different, um, even a larger utility, utility vehicle. I remember that was called a Wolverine. Who made that one? I forgot. It was this big, it was like eight wheels. It'll go into water. It'll go into different things. And it's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. So my father tried, so when they try different things, it gives you that option as a young person growing up. You know, I guess you try different things, and if they don't work, you might as well try it. It was Ford from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about how early 70s closed a store, brought Ford in as a stockholder. They were so bad, losing our ass. He couldn't survive. Bought the new building in 69, and so Ford had its, like, dealer development, and we'll come in, rescue you, we'll own the shares, you can eventually buy them back, stir up the business. So I started at... So those years that Ford um, was, was a stockholder in the dealership, what, what was that like? Well, it's a little bit before my time, because I didn't start there yet, but um, I was a, a little bit familiar with the dealer development, but it was good, it was very strict, very corporate. I mean, I, I saw, actually, the other day I saw some past minutes, so it was very... You know, the minutes, the corporate, the spends. Um, and um, so they were on your board. They ran your company. And they turned it around. And then every, depends on what money he, he uh, company made, he can buy the stock back. So eventually he got out of it. Mm -hmm. 
But it's probably a good business lesson, I would think, for my father. But sometimes, you know, even from a manufacturer, they don't really know some of the reality that happens at a dealership. Mm -hmm. But it's, as far as financially wise, it was good for him. So it's a rough road. Another advantage of starting in 79 is you hit the early 80s. So I had it bad. I mean, it was tough. You go to your 16, 12 or 16 people, whatever we had, we're all taking a 10% pay cut, or I gotta cut 10% off. That's the way it is. I just looked at a financial statement from the early 80s, it was horrible. Nobody's paying their bills. We had $7,000 in the bank. You know, it was just, it was tough. And so the, uh, it's very good to start a career that way because you know what it can be. Mm -hmm. It's very important, so. But it wasn't a Ford Motor Company. Ford was a lot of fun, especially in the early 80s. In the 80s, they developed a car called the Taurus. They made so much money and they had the best trips in the world. My wife, we got married in 83. We were traveling all over the world with Fort Myers. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> like, God, it's the greatest job in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, it's pretty fun. I'm gonna keep selling tractors and we're gonna keep going on trips. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it was a big motivator yeah. and we had a lot, of, a lot of fun. So the timeline that I was looking at was that 1970, Mm -hmm. Closed Little Spaniels, and then incorporated with Ford, and then Bud bought Ford out in 75. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Los Spaniels was closed. It was a loser. And then my grandfather ran it. He's retired. He goes, I want the hell out of here. I don't want to run it. You know, just shut it down. It was a very small store. I think 79 was okay, because when I started, everybody wasn't, you know, crying in the doldrums. It was the early 80s that, you know, cause they yeah. worked there six months in 79, you know, so it's getting the hang of stuff, what's going on. And it just, you know, the interest rates are really high. Mm -hmm. That was really bad. Yeah. So I don't think it was very good when they started, but um, you know, the interest rates skyrocketed and all these kind of problems happened, but, but um, it was good to do that. So we closed that store and then I started. And then I kind of figured the, uh, you know, when you look at a business, you got to have some kind of a little bit of a scale of economy a little bit. So our first store was uh, Newman. It's a small store, so one tractor a year. I mean, we're talking a little, it's Quonset mm -hmm. type building. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little. And uh, Louis Ramos and made a deal with him. And uh, but back then it was quite a bit of hay tools. And he sold like two balers. But the market was there, and New Holland was very strong at the time at that. So anyway, that's what was the first store was in the early '80s, I think, or late '80s. It was Newman. And then you were in with Kubota pretty early on. It it looked like '76. I actually had to ask them that when I started redoing this history. I, said, I couldn't remember, 74, 75, 76, yeah, very early. How early was Kubota at that time? Like how, how? Uh, they came into the country in 73, I think, or started Kubota Tractor Corporation in 73. So it was a little tractors, you know, but he laughed at them. So you must be one of the oldest continuing mm -hmm. Kubota dealers, right? So 79, you, you pick up Newman. Mm -hmm. Within a few years, tell me about the rest of the growth path, about what we, you were looking at, what we were, you were trying to do, and how it came there's, together. There's two ways to grow a business. You got money or talent. If you're really good, you have both. But we didn't have any money, but we had some talented people that worked there. So we had good market shares, and it works pretty good. So some stores, uh, and, and there was a lot of family uh, businesses back then. There's some camaraderie. And part of it's at the Far West Equipment Dealers Association. You meet people and, you know, there's a lot of respect between all the other dealers and it's, it's a good time. So, um, so if you have talented people, so some, some guy or 
you know, like, what was the next one? I forgot, but I think it was Stockton. I'm not sure. But anyway, you take Stockton. So they had a, it was ran by, it was a dealer development store, and somebody tried to do it. But um, it's a company store. It was a company okay. thing, and, but they they had a guy that wanted to buy it and do it. But the only problem was he didn't like farmers, because in our <laughs> area the farmers are you know they can be rough. Mm-hmm. You know I got scars on my desk from people throwing stuff at me, parts or whatever. Farmers <laughs> are you know whatever they yeah. get you know it's it's very high intense, very high intense business. Mm-hmm. I mean we have respect for one another, but you know they can come out hefty, and. Uh, he didn't like that. He couldn't take it. So we worked out with Ford Motor Company how to you know, to acquire that store, and that's how it worked. Almost every store was like that, except for the startups. The startups are brutal. The startups were uh, Merced, Ukiah. There used to be dealers there, but there really wasn't, you know, a dealer there when we did the uh, transaction. Woodland. Fairfield was the Moore family. They were still kind of running it, but they were ready to get out. So it was very, very small, the Moore family. But uh, yeah, in that case, he was a great guy. His name Bernie Moore, a great person. He passed away, and then the family kind of approached us a little bit. Cause Bernie talked to me years ago, and I went pencil. And it was interesting, uh, the Santa Rosa store was a dealer development store too. Different people tried to get it and buy it. They just couldn't make it work. And it was losing a lot of money. My father said, you're a dumbass. You're going to do this? Mm-hmm. Way up there. It's like three hours, three to four hours away on the coast in a city. And you're losing hundreds of thousands a year. Back then, it was a lot of money. So, so I think it'll work, you know. Give it a shot. So we did. And it's, you know, very successful today, the North Coast. So most of the story that it just comes from, we didn't have any big growth plans. There's no corporate. There's no outside money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just working hard, talented people making it work yeah it's very simple what was your objective 79 you you came in kind of you had to have a job because your dad drove you over to the apartment complex right so yeah it, yeah what i did is i um studied a lot you know and, and how things work and you you study you know the sales it's stupid sales books sometimes god you know, the lines the closer lines or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> so you just read stuff and then you, uh, but you have to have that passion to learn and continual improvement. And just even today, I learn stuff every day. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I just thought the multi-store thing makes more sense because you can spread your overhead, and, and it just made sense, mm-hmm. you know. So it started. So I said we have to eventually get more stores to survive because we're just going to be gobbled up and pretty small compared to a lot of these big boys. I mean, we're pretty small. We could still maybe get gobbled up one day, but but um, my goal is to keep it a family business now. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's gonna be. Yeah. You know, it's not gonna be cashed in. So... Um, How long did it take for you to realize you were gonna, this was gonna be your career? I almost left. My dad, he was tired of it. You know, I'm young, let's take it over. Be manager. You know, and that's one reason why I was gonna leave, go to Texas, is because I don't have the skill sets. I'm not going to take this thing on and be a dumbass. You know, I want to know what I'm doing. And I didn't want to do it. So I, I resigned from that position with him. I said, I'm not going to do it. Somebody else went, I'm not going to do it. I'll be service manager, whatever, figure it out. I'm not going to do it. So I could have hurt his ego a little bit, but mm-hmm. it is. There's a, a good friend in Texas in the 80s and that I met on a uh, 
was, we sold Manitou at the time. It was called Katie Manitou, a trip in France. We just got along great. He's an older man. And his wife, Lois Marie, just wanted to have Bill Garten. They said, oh man, you gotta, she didn't have any kids or anything. Oh, you can run this business and you'll do great. And, and uh, almost did it, almost. But they said, mm, decided not to. So you have, uh, I just didn't want to skip. I liked what I was doing and I liked our area and I figured I could do well. I forgot the exact timing, but probably, okay. maybe five plus, five between five and six years, probably. So after that soul searching, you committed yourself fully to the business, I, I take it, that's how. Well, you always commit working. to whatever, you yeah. know. I mean, if I could have done both, I would have done both. But no, you have to, yeah, you, could, you have to be committed. Mm-hmm. And the employees have to see that too. I'm in this club, and it's important to join clubs that you have other business people there that you can relate stories with. But hell, he was, um, I think Bob was close to 70. He's a, you own grocery stores. And he ended up buying a huge chain, almost double the size of his business. I mean, this is big, you know, billion dollar deal. And he said, the neatest thing about that was the people I work with says, Bob still has it. You know, so they like that, that need to succeed. People like that. How did the path re-navigate itself? Well, it just kind of, it just kind of naturally, you know, you learn the thing about a dealership family dealership, some of these corporate guys, you know, their offices down in Timbuktu and they have all these needle guys doing it, but, but we're active, you know, we're, a, you know, I'm a dirt person. So, um, you know, you just, I just went through the departments, basically got in the sales and developed a sales team and, and we had, um, and you go through all the, the calamities, uh, I was kind of leading the sales team. We had, so it was Joe, me, Ed and Dan, so there's four guys, and this is probably in the 90s, I suppose. But anyway, they're, they're all doing about two, three million, which is back there is pretty good. Dan dies, Ed quits, so it's, it's a huge hit. It's like four million a sale, huge hit. Maybe more than that, maybe six, whatever it was. So just Joe and me, Joe still works there today. And so we just um, said, okay, we gotta do this. And Joe and I pulled it through, then eventually, Eugene came aboard, and other people started coming aboard. Mm-hmm. It was tough. And another thing I tell people, and everybody has their emotions. We have up days, down days. But that light switch over there, I tell everybody, every day you come in that office, the lights come on. Your attitude, everything. If your lights are off, get the hell out. It's the way it has to be. Even myself. After that, that opportunity that you said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. At that day, what did you, how many stores did you think it could be, or how much in revenue do you think would, would you have dreamt at at that, that Nothing. Point? Never had a revenue goal. Well, I did. Have, I take that back. I did have a revenue goal. I don't know when I said it, but I said by the time I'm 50 years old, I want to do $50 million in business. I did have a revenue goal. Did you get there? Oh, yeah, it's way above it. Yeah. <laughs> how how, how old are you? I don't have any answer. I'm 61. 61. Yeah, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. But anyway, um, yeah, so I did set a goal. Mainly the way I look at things, people will ask, well, how, what do you do there? What do you do there? I don't know. All, all I really look at most of the time are just percentages. Because if you take care of the percentages, the dollars take care of themselves. So the goal is 5% net. I said 5% net. How do you do that? Well, we go 20, 20% of the gross sales, 15, 50% of the expenses, you know, you, you just, it's all you do is very simple stuff. We don't go into any big, you know, yeah. 
How, how revenue-wise, what's Garten today? Uh, I don't like talking about that. <laughs> but it's over 100 million. But at that, that point in the 80s, did you think you would, could you see, have foreseen that you'd be 10 stores within a period of time? Or? I never really thought about it. And they don't, because if you, sometimes if you plan too much of like a, an asset, mm-hmm. you're always going for that asset. You're not going for improving your business. You know, if you improve your business, it's, things happen naturally. You see manufacturers do it all the time. What do they do? They buy stuff, right? They're like, oh, we're buying this, we're buying that. That's, that's, you're buying the sales or whatever. And so this talk goes up, the guy looks like a hero, then he leaves, they have all the stuff they're not doing anything with, sales mm-hmm. go down, stock goes down, next guy's a loser. I mean, it's a vicious cycle. So, so anyway, I never really planned, we're gonna have 10 stories, have 20 stories. It's more of dollars and profitability, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I wanna keep everybody I work with happy. You know, the hardest part about a decision, being a family business, is things I can decide on or a board decides on affects families. That's the toughest part about a business. You have to let somebody go or whatever. But most of the people that I have dismissed in the past, it turns out to be a good thing. I see them afterwards and they still talk to me and Mm -hmm. they usually thank me. I wasn't right for this job. You know, and I found what I'm good at. So it's like getting cut from the baseball team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. So so uh, it's all good. You had talked earlier about how your dad gave you some latitude to try mm-hmm. some things and, 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 and fail at some things. I, I had a question I was going to ask you here. We learn from our mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. What comes to mind? Threw up against the wall, kicked my ass out. So I straightened up after that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. so that's probably one of the worst mistakes. It doesn't have to be a financial mistake. You know, it could be just a bad emotional, you know, I made, uh, it was showing a possibility of a leader I was showing a possibility of an idiot mm-hmm. man he just kicked my ass out yeah. you know do we do this again okay so got out of there came back and apologized to some people but as far as other mistakes um you know probably i really can't think of any it's just a lot of little stuff through the years you know you lose deals you did that and mess that up or try to structure that maybe didn't work right. But uh, I made a lot, but he, you know, as long as you learn something, he always says, you learn something from that one? I go, uh, yep, you know, I did, so. And I thought it was interesting, actually, in the multi-store thing after Newman, I looked at a Kubota, actually I had some college buddies that were looking at doing maybe a, a Kubota deal down in the Chowchilla Madera area. And this is in the 80s, because they, it's Japanese stuff, it might be pretty, you know, they can, Specialty stuff might be a big thing. And so we almost did that, but it just didn't pencil out. It was in the early 80s and just, things got crazy. So mm-hmm. we, I did look at that as far as a starter. But, so you look at different things. Well, another thing that happened too, there's this big farmer that uh, wanted to go into partners, kind of redness, rescue number two. This was before my time, actually. This is, I think, before Ford rescued it. But anyway, um, they were from a different culture, and uh, they were going to make a big agri-center place and all these expansions and stuff. And the, uh, the Ammon industry was kind of in its earliest stages, but uh, my mom saved the store. She says, this won't work because you're from a different culture, we're from a different culture, and I don't want anything to do with it. So my mom saved it. That was another thing that happened. That would have been a big mistake. I would have been her today. So it was, it was moving in that direction, mm-hmm. and she threw the flag. Yeah. As at Far West, we had Lou Holtz. 
and he was great. He says, one of the things he says, listen to your spouse. And luckily my dad listened to his spouse. Yeah. What imprint did he leave on you on how to run the business? What, did, what are the couple things that he forever left with you on that you do today? I think bounce back, stand up, do what's right, be honest, have integrity. And the main thing is everybody puts their pants on the same way, no matter who you are. Just dress like you and me, it was the difference, right? You know, mm -hmm. you might be smarter, you might be dumber, you know, yeah. we're all people. And another thing my dad said too, very, this is very important, never sacrifice principle for money. That's Bud's thing, never sacrifice principle for money. And that's what I tell everybody. If this is right and this is wrong, I don't care if that manufactured, it's not gonna help, we're helping. It's just the way it is. And uh, you have to run a business like that. How are you different in, in the way that you're running the business? How are you different than, than he was? Probably, I think this is from growing up, but as I said earlier, he complained a lot about it. But I'll take action against it. You know, I don't want to have complaints. I don't go home and say, oh God, I got to stand this thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I don't go home to complain about anything. I mean, I'm sure I do once in a while if some friggin' thing blew up or whatever, but, but uh, you try to fix things quicker. And then I, you know, the whole, the whole slogans or, or message or culture, you try to build that up. Probably maybe, he had a good culture and good work, but I try to expand it and get it so everybody's on board. Open book, um, open communication, open door. You know, and my dad had that too, so you just try to do better than he did because we always want our children to do better than what we did, have different ideas and take things, maybe not necessarily in the tractor business, but take things where you want to take. We want everybody to be successful. Everybody I work with, everybody. T tell me about the next generation that's in the business, the, the names and what they're, they're doing for you. Okay, the oldest one's Ben, and he's a marketing director. The second one's Grant. And he's in charge of, um, he runs a store in Stockton and a startup store in Woodland. And he has a reptile shop in Sacramento and a CrossFit gym. Drew, he ran a store in Newman. And uh, then we brought him back to Turlock to be service manager. So he's kind of following my footsteps a little bit in Turlock. He, uh, so he's doing a good job at that. Then Ross just came aboard. He's the artist of the family. He was a musician and all those kind of things. So he's an admin right now, working for a finance manager, just learning how things work. So they're all separate, they're all in one building. No, Grant lives in Sac, and Ben lives in Oakdale. No, Drew and Ross live in Turlock, but, but even Ross, we're in the same store, I never see him. I mean, they're in a different building, you know, yeah. how it goes. But he's doing their thing. Yeah, but you got, you got the fourth generation yeah. dialed into the business, which is good. Will they all stay? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do what you want to do. I know that you don't measure yourself on stores, but where do you think that the business will need to go next? Well, it's interesting. It's um, kind of pondering that quite a bit with people I work with, but it's, it's uh, you know, you have the outside selling, you know, the Amazons and all that going on too. But um, it's going to be in our area, and we're lucky to have both brands, New Holland and Kubota. But um, I think the the ag eventually, it's, it's, as far as growth goes, it's going to be pretty calming. You know, there's, not gonna be, there's not a lot of it, unless you take market shares away, but 
I think the um, we can still have steady growth, but it's going to be at a much slower pace. And other stores that they become available because you know we'd be interested in that too, but we don't aggressively pursue it. Or and New Holland's pretty good at that too. They don't want to, you know, we have a good family business. Keep it that way. You know, like John Deere that goes, big bid, two hundred million, we're out. You know, and it loses some of its personality. I think of a business. There's still a lot of family farms. Families like talking with families. You know, we like to go to the charity events and donate. It's, um, it's part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And you launched a new store here that not everyone's doing these days, that your Woodland location's about a year old or so? <sighs> yeah, I just started. It's been going on for a long time. So we looked at a, um, I looked at a very small facility. It took my wife to see it because she's good at that stuff. So she put the kibosh on that. So listen to your spouse. Mm-hmm. No way in hell you're gonna buy that damn thing with a homeless guy living in there. Okay, so then we found another place. So sometimes it's good to wait. You know, sometimes people get so anxious to do something. So we found another location. It's five acres, three times the money, um, but it made more sense where it was located. So here you have a startup. And what we do is I always like the building to be nice. Remodeled it. I spent half a million on that. Whatever. Remodeled, it's all pretty. And we start with three people. <laughs> it's a big old freaking building yeah. with a big old shop and all these offices and you know the furniture in them. There's nobody working there. So it's kind of unusual, but that's the way I like to do it. I like to be done and then people can build it and they're either successful or we're not. So, you know, but uh, they're doing a good job and uh, it's building it up. So it's mm-hmm. all set up. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an unusual way to do it. The other way is, no, it starts small and then build it up and reinvest the money. But we're fortunate enough, that's an advantage of the other stores, is everybody knows they're contributing to the other new success, the way it is, because their store is the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the funding's coming from somewhere, right? So everybody's got to, everybody's teaming. Mm-hmm. Can help you out, can do that. Help out with inventory, help you out. Yeah. It's all teamwork. You expect to be in growth oh, yeah. to grow. Yeah, you, you, you got to grow whatever you're doing. Maybe not financially. It can be growth in some other area, but you grow or you go. Mm. That's what I say. Yeah. <laughs> grow or go. Because it starts shrinking, you know, you're doing something very wrong. You have to correct it. You travel the country a lot, meeting with dealers all over the place. You know, every story is unique, every, every, or every dealer is unique, every dealer has a unique story. What, what do they think is most unique about Garden Tractor? I will tell you is I was at Tulare on a bus, and this is what I like to hear. It's a couple things. First, a lady sitting there pointed at her store across the street and made a comment. She didn't know who I was or anything to another person. Those are the nicest people right there. Mm-hmm. That tractor store over there, they are the nicest people. It's a place to get it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Made so, your day. In fact, yesterday, I heard on the radio this morning, oh, Rock said what... Um, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. That was his slogan. Got an MTV award I heard on the radio on the way to the airport. So anyway, that was nice. And then another thing is I was on the Tulare uh, World Ag Expo walking around, and, and she saw my hat on. Oh, do you work at a garden tractor? I go, yeah, yes, ma'am, I sure do. And she goes, I got a tractor from you. So happy. I said, I said, well, what, what was it? What what? But Bram was because he says, I don't know, it's just a garden tractor. <laughs> okay, so, so that was a very pleasant experience, oh, yeah. too, that she, she blended us with the product. 
Right. That's your ultimate goal, is to have people that really like to go there, really like to, to support yeah. your business. Just buying the dealership, the brand's insignificant. Yeah, yeah that, that really surprised Okay, blue one or orange one, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was very, very sad. So that the goal is, I guess, in everybody, when you run your stores, is, is it has to be a, a nice place. People, products, facilities. As you look, you know, you're at the top of the hill looking down in the next 10 years, what, what concerns you the, <laughs> what, what concerns you the most? Part of our struggles are just being a business in California. It's a big struggle right now. Big, costly struggle. There's a lot of, um, they have a PEGA deal that it's, uh, that's it stand for private attorney, general, uh, whatever it stands for. There's a lot of frivolous lawsuits going on to a lot of businesses. It cost millions and millions of dollars. But it's just, um, so California is very difficult. We used to be afraid of, well, if, afraid, afraid is not a concern, it would be a better term of, you know, of a customer getting, you know, something happening with a customer or liability. But now it's all employee based. It's these guys that get the internet attorneys and come after the, the employer. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that is a tough deal, tough deal because. Um, you know, company, we're going to arbitration agreements, we're doing all kinds of things to, to protect the co company. And our loyal staff is all for those kind of things, but you get these cases of um, people that don't work there very long and they skip or do something, it's just, it's bad. Mm -hmm. No protection for the employer. So we're working on that. That's, a, that's kind of an immediate concern is how to, you know, go with that. Some things that maybe cause a little insomnia over the future. I don't, I sleep good. Except last night I had to get up and go to this damn thing. <laughs> but but uh, um, it's just, I think a lot of it is I have a, I tell the manufacturers this, I call it the pie principle. Product is everything. And so they have to, in our area, we're more specialized and they have to get on the stick. They want to, they want to have, to have the business. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's probably my concern is let's go, let's get this done, you know. And then don't worry about buying other businesses or doing other things. Let's improve what we got. You improve what we have, the consumer's happy, loves the brand, the product sells itself, more margin, everybody's happy. Can you rely on, the, on your two big majors to come with the lion's share of that solution that you need? Not yet. I mean, they do. They do on some things, but on some things they don't. The problem with the manufacturers is they don't, they never communicate back to the dealer. If you have an idea, you know, we'd like to hear it, or maybe do it this way, or we'll look at that, and here's where we're going with it, or, and I think a lot of it's, they're just afraid to, you know, to uh, share ideas sometimes, but, um, but there's always, you know, again, it's back on continual improvement to get things done, to get things developed, and to try new things, instead of picking the cheapest country to build it at. What's well, where the market is? I want on this. You know, John Deere did the same thing. Mm -hmm. I like that John Deere Indian tractor, you know. It's a good place to build them. It's cheap. It's so simple, you know. But, yeah, it's true, but, you know, you want to make sure the quality's there. Maybe it is. I don't know. But um, it's just products. is products everything, in my opinion. It's mm. only my opinion. What didn't I ask you about that you expected me to? What am, what am I missing here today? Um, oh, the acronyms. 
in that article. I was cracking up when I saw those. I got to forget about that stuff. Yeah, you know? I have them written down here. <laughs> Do it right. What was it, direct? Do it right. Ends complaints tomorrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then was act action, uh, control tenacity. But as you get older in life, when I saw that, it reminded me. I go, "Go, oh, added some good stuff." But now, the latest one. I've said, I've said this for a long time, but it's kind of funny because the age I'm at. It's called PETA. You know what PETA stands for? It's maybe a little bit about this interview. Pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. Oh, they're not. Oh, they're not. So, so don't, be a, done, don't be a PETA. Yeah. That I have so I, my meeting is a PETA. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell people another one I have for the employees. I go, don't be a soap. I can't stand soaps. Set an ass person. Yeah, I like that one. You got that one trademarked? Can I borrow that's that freely? I, that's another one I created too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I create things. I, I don't know, it gets people buzzing. Yeah. We always also, every year you have a theme. You know, 2019, your team 2019. That's our mm -hmm. company theme. Quality people, quality products. It's a big deal. And it was interesting. I was reading that old article that talked about quality people, quality mm -hmm. Every year you have a theme for the we business. I do so a theme. I set it out. Out. Okay, what rhymes with 2020? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but I always do that. I think it's, I, it's important to me. Some of the younger generation thinks it's stupid, you mm -hmm. know, but, but it's, 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 I don't know, I just have it. I like that stuff. Yeah. That gets them in the back of the mind. But now with the communications are different. I used to have it on every email, but now we use, we use what's called Slack for communication. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you don't see all the little buzz things all the time. Yeah. yeah. But uh, good. So what is 2020? 20, I don't know. I have to think about that. I never do it till the end of the year. Okay. Get inspiration. Yeah. We have a board. We have a, we have a, like sales meetings right, right in January starts. Boom. The main thing about people you need know, to talk about some history and stuff and what we did but it doesn't mean anything it really doesn't it's about like Lou Holtz at Far West said look God put eyes in front of your head for what reason to look ahead and I tell the sales because I don't care if you sold 10 million yesterday it doesn't mean what you're gonna do tomorrow mm -hmm. you got to set your sights for tomorrow so the past is great it's history but what you set your emotions for tomorrow you got to do because mm -hmm. you can't sit on your laurels Soap, because of the past. Yeah. So they have to get out, do it. Yeah. So they said gold. It's fun. Thanks to Bill for sharing the story of Garden Tractor, and another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the new series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lustermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Special thanks to Joe Kinsley of our multimedia department for putting this together for you. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of our dealer stories.